Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. I'm Hugh Atchison. I'm a chef, a restaurateur, a traveler, and now I'm the host of The Passenger. People ask me all the time, you know, what's that list of places to go in this city, in that city? And this show is dedicated to that idea. Immersing yourself in that culture and finding out what's intriguing and what resounds and what we think about the future of that place as a visitor, as a passenger. Subscribe now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush, Friday interview edition. This week, everyone, we have the very lovely and talented Natasha Halevi. In fact, I hope that's how you pronounce her last name. I didn't even ask. Uh, But she came in here. Uh, Natasha, I met at my friend's wedding um, about six weeks ago uh, at the same time that I met Mr. Sean Gunn because they, everyone, are engaged to get married, uh, which is very lovely. They're both uh, super, super cool. And uh, she was kind enough to agree to come in here um, on sort of short notice. We've been going back and forth on email for a few weeks. But she wedged me into her tight schedule to uh, come in here and talk about The Graduate, everybody, one of my favorite movies ever. And we had a really good talk about it. It's it's a movie, uh, as you will hear over the next uh, hour or so, that uh, changes for me as I watch it over the years. Um, every time I see it, as I get older, it takes on a little bit of a different tone. And she agreed, and we ended up having a really good talk about it. So uh, without any delay, here we go with Natasha Halevi on The Graduate. Where are you from? Let's let's back up. Okay, sorry. Let's back it on out. <laughs> <laughs> boop, 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 boop. That's uh, the backup sound. Born in? <laughs> born in Ventura, California. Oh, okay. Um burned down last year. Um, oh, that's right. But, you know, that's what California does now. Was your family there when that happened? No, thank God. They oh, were okay. out. And weirdly, the whole neighborhood um, that I grew up in uh-huh. burned down and our house oh, was still gosh. standing. Wow. And I think my my dad built a crazy uh, irrigation system for the uh, <laughs> like orchard uh-huh. in the backyard. Orchard. I mean, it was like seven trees, but listen, we <laughs> called tree. it an orchard. <laughs> and uh, I swear, I'm like, I think that crazy system wow. you put in was just like kept that house standing. Anyway. Maybe. Was it one of the only ones? Yes. Interesting. So you grew up there. Grew up in Ventura. Uh, and how long were you there? Till I turned, till I went to college. I oh, went okay. to college at UC Davis. I grew up there, spent my life there. I spent, we had like a short stint in uh, the Valley, uh-huh. which was a really like totally important part of my growing up because it was like just the age where you're really learning to be like totally yourself. Yeah. And I still will say like and dude when I get really yeah, excited that, about that something. Lego. And I'm like, oh, my God, we lived there one year. How did this happen oh, to me? Oh, I think we all kind of do that. <sighs> I say dude so much it's kind of embarrassing. Okay, I feel better. And like it's, it's just it's part of this generation, you, I think. Like years of, of guilt over saying that no. just went away thanks to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when did you get into acting though? Um, like in the valley. Uh, which is sort of true. Mm-hmm. I uh, was in I was in a number of productions as like a child. Oh, cool! In in Los Angeles, like stage um, stuff, stage or? stuff. Uh-huh. And this is really crazy. I did a film. Uh, we shot it about two years ago. It's not out yet. It has a lot of uh, CGI in it. It's got talking animals. It's called Toby Goes to Camp, uh-huh. and it's about kids at this like camp, and this tiger comes to camp, and all the uh-huh. cute things happen. <laughs> and I'm like the tiger mom. 
Um, and uh, we went and shot a day in a theater in the Valley. Uh-huh. And I walked into this theater and I was like, Oh no, what same the one. Heck? I'm like, I think I was here when I was wow. like all of nine years old. Uh-huh. And I like texted my mom. I'm like, Mom. And I like took a picture. Of course, I wasn't supposed to take pictures of anything. I just sent it to my mom. Was that it? And she's like, yeah, that's definitely the theater you wow. performed in as a child. And that's it was like cool. such a funny thing. Um, anyway, I uh, then uh, did not – then I moved back to Ventura and started surfing. Really? <laughs> and, and, didn't, <laughs> and I don't know what happened with uh, – you know, I do like shows in school. Uh-huh. But really um, – God, acting just like really has been a pain in my ass. Really? <laughs> I went to school when I went to college. Uh-huh. I was going to – I did. I did a pre-med track. I was going to become a doctor. Right. I studied biology. And within my first few weeks of school, I was just looking for an improv team. I had done mm-hmm. some improv and I went to the theater department. And I said, hey, is there like an improv team? And they were like uh, – They said yes and. <laughs> yes and. <laughs> but I'm – uh, they said, oh, yeah, sure, come back this day. We're having auditions for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. So I came back, and there was not an audition for an improv team. They did not have an improv team. They were auditions for the entire season of performances gotcha. for that coming year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't really know what I was doing, and I didn't have anything prepared. I didn't have a resume or whatever I was right. supposed to have with me, headshot. And I walked into the room, and all the – Guest uh, guest uh, directors and uh-huh. the other student directors and the staff directors, they were all there. And they were like, oh, you know, what what do you have to perform for us today? And I was like, uh. Wow. I thought this was an improv thing. And they uh-huh. were like, oh. And I was like, and, you know, they're about to, like, dismiss me. And I was like, um, give me uh, the name of an item <laughs> in your pocket, sir. <laughs> you know, and it was like a pen or whatever. Wow, and I was so like, okay. And I got my, like, three items. Uh-huh. And I um, I performed a monologue at the at the tombstone of my grandfather with their three wow. items. <laughs> and just improv it? <laughs> yeah. And I got cast in a bunch of shows for that year. And then That's by the amazing. end of that year, I finished my minor. Uh-huh. And I was like, well. I guess I have to get a major in theater now. Yeah. So uh, that's what happened. Really? I still did the pre-med track. So I had a, a degree in theater and in biology. Interesting um, combo. And then I went on, I rock climbed a lot in college. Uh-huh. So I moved to Boulder, to Boulder, Colorado uh-huh. to climb for a summer after school and stayed for eight years. That is um, a very, yeah. It's <laughs> a super long <laughs> summer of climbing. That's a very hippie thing to do. Uh, yeah. It's oh, like yeah. I went to climb for three months and stayed for eight years. <laughs> yes. Did you just climb and climb and climb? No, I got a real job <laughs> in design, uh, um, which is neither of the degrees that I got clearly. Yeah. How, did you just have a, a knack for it? Uh, no, I became very interested in sustainability. Okay. Because I spent all my time outdoors and yeah, cared sure. about protecting it and – Wanted to see that last and then started seeing, oh, wow, that connects into all these other things, of course. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I found – I just started doing research and buildings were the biggest impact on the environment, which really isn't that shocking when you think about it. You know, sure. I thought, oh, it's cars, it's industry. But nope. We live in buildings. We work in buildings. Wow. So we're in buildings all the time. We use electricity. We use water. Right. You know, all the things we use and we just like push the button and it's like the lights are on and it's like, okay, right. but that came from somewhere. And yes. it's like, oh, you turn the water on and it's like, that's coming from a place, right. you know. Um, it's easy to forget that. It's so easy to forget. We have all these great buttons. They just do things. Yeah. Water button, light button. Uh-huh. So there's a disconnect T- there. TV button, entertainment right. button. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, you, that, so you worked so in that, uh, trying to, was it like lead certification type of stuff? Or? Yes. Yeah. I've been a part of 30 some odd lead buildings. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. But I couldn't, I couldn't uh, get away from acting. It kept, things kept I would act a little bit in Colorado, uh-huh. and then I moved to LA. Opened an office for the company I was working for, and was started doing little films on the side. And then my my boss said, "Well, we we looked you up on HR. Looked you up online, and uh, <laughs> what? Because you're like moonlighting? Yeah." It looks like you're an actress. And I was like. Thank you. <laughs> uh, no, I know I was. But really what I said to him was, 
have you seen any of the obscure short films on that list <laughs> on IMDb? And he was like, uh, no. And I was like, well, I don't think you have anything to worry about. But the next day I called him up and I was like, you know, I really liked how that sounded. You right. said it looks like you're an actress and you're right. I am. Wow. That's so funny. <laughs> that was it. And so you quit the job? That was it. Yep. That wow. was it. And then and made a real go at it? And then made a real go at it and still just going and going. I think that's how it goes forever no matter sure. where you are as an actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's always a work in progress. Go and go and go. Now, I do want to know a little bit about – B.C. Butcher. Yeah. Because uh, explain to everyone what this project was. And, and oh, there's sort of one really unique factor, uh, if yes. I understand it correctly. Um, I think I'm going to give you the right unique factor. <laughs> In my mind, there are a lot of unique yeah. factors, <laughs> um, which we can definitely get into. But the really unique piece of B.C. Butcher uh, is Kansas Bowling. Right. She is the writer-director. Mm-hmm. And when she made this film, uh, I went in – before I give it away, yeah, yeah. I went into audition uh, for Kansas. Mm-hmm. I walked into the room and there was, um, you know, someone, I don't know, maybe in their 30s or 40s. And then there was also a girl there reading. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And she's like, I'll be reading with you. And I was like, okay, great. And I thought, you know, that makes sense based on the story for sure. Like yeah. that's the right age. And we read and she like, you know, we had a really great, uh, we had a great read. It was a lot of fun. And she was like, okay, you know, great, thanks. And I was like, okay, bye. And then I get a phone call a couple days later and it's the same like young girl's Uh voice. (laughs) Hi, this is Kansas Bowling. Um, I'm the director of the film and, you know, we read together and I'm just like on the phone and I'm like, what? Yeah. It's happening right now. This is the girl I read with. She's like one of the actors for uh-huh. sure. Nope. Kansas Bowling at age 17. Amazing. Wrote, <laughs> directed, cast, uh, funded, you know, got the money uh-huh. uh, and made a film. That's amazing. Shot it on uh, 16 millimeter film. Oh, wow. I didn't uh, know that. Which was incredible. It yeah. was so much fun to shoot on film. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, wow. So cool. Such a different feeling when you when you're you know performing it's yeah. a different it feels it almost there's something about it that feels a little bit more like performing on a stage just uh-huh. because you know the way we treat film yeah and the way we treat digital right you know digital it's like oh let's just do it again do yeah, it again yeah. do it again a thousand times sure and film it's like okay this is what we're doing now yeah there's a, a i mean I was about to say it's a if finite you're on a budget, resource. Sure. It's not like they're running out of film. Yeah. But if you're on a budget, it is a finite resource. It's totally a finite like resource. Like the number of film cans. you can, And I, I used to work on projects like that. It's like, well, we have this much film. Oh, yeah. So let's just sort of back into oh, for the, sure. to it that way. Yeah. She wasn't calling the studio and saying, actually, I need some more film right. in like 10 more days. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we signed the contract with Kansas, I was signing it. And I, I looked at her. I was like, you know, this contract is immediately null and void. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not old enough to sign this right. contract. <laughs> She's like, just humor so, me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, so if this movie makes money, do you promise, please, that you'll pay me uh-huh. even though this contract is not real? Uh, yeah. So how did it go, though? I mean, what how was what was it like and how was she? Uh, Kansas is awesome. Uh-huh. She's actually um, working on a film right now. Uh-huh. She's done a ton of music videos. She's really um, – She's so into music. Yeah. It, you could talk to her about – I mean, her brain and music is, like, the most mind-blowing uh-huh. thing. Um, and she has, like, this really amazing artistic, creative brain that links things together that, like, I I don't even comprehend. Uh, she's great. Mm-hmm. She was 17 and – That's really had impressive. – a 100% control over her set, over uh-huh. her team, um, and and killed it. That's awesome. Yeah, she's awesome. And how old is she now? Like, was that twenty-two? Oh, okay. So that mm-hmm. was a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. So she's a veteran at this point. <laughs> oh yeah, she's like she's been at it. Yeah. Um. And and that film, she uh sold that film to Trauma. Mm-hmm. Um. And which is very cool. It's very cool. Legendary. Uh. I mean, what are they? Distribution company, I guess. They are no. They definitely are production, production company. company. Yeah. Um, very much so. Lloyd Kaufman just shot uh, Shakespeare's Shitstorm. I uh-huh. know he's always working <laughs> on projects. Um, and Lloyd um, saw something special in Kansas yeah. and brought – he brought Kansas and I 
to San Diego Comic-Con. Uh-huh. Here we are, like, we don't have no idea what's going on. We, like, we're like, what? You know, there are all these huge films at Comic-Con, right? Yeah. You know, like, that same year, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy had their big, like, sure. stage thing. You know, all these huge films are there, and everyone's being escorted around, and, you know, trauma's not being escorted around. Yeah, but trauma has this <laughs> – I mean, they're they're legendary, you know? They've legendary. been around forever, and if you know – like if you're a cinephile and you know film, then you know trauma. Yeah. And they have earned that reputation over the years for uh, doing some of the most creative sort of great, you know, schlocky genre pictures you could imagine. Yes. yes. And and those are all complimentary words. You know? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Um, yeah. Lloyd. I mean, Lloyd Kaufman is amazing. He yeah. finds people who have uh, talent and uh, – aren't afraid to have a different viewpoint of uh-huh. the world than mainstream yeah. anything. In fact, if anybody had a mainstream viewpoint on the world, he'd probably tell them to go. Right. You're not trauma material. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really admirable, though. It's cool uh, that they're still at it after all these years. Yes. What? Uh, where can people see that? Um, that is on Amazon. It's okay. on iTunes. Um, it is also available through Troma. Troma has their own streaming service. They have a subscription service, so Troma definitely oh, cool. can have it. Uh, has it, and uh, that's a. I feel like I should like know the URL. It's t r o m a dot com. I think it's that's probably what it is. <laughs> I can't wait to check it out. What? What? Give, give everyone a quick uh, a quick plot synopsis. Oh my goodness! Um, it is basically the most. Uh, Outrageous cave women, mm-hmm. cave woman, cave women story. Sure. <laughs> cave women story sounds weird. Story um, about cave women. It's a bunch of cave women struggling uh-huh. to get through life's daily obstacles yeah. when all of a sudden something happens. <laughs> That's a good deed. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that was like a total bullshit answer, but is pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Without giving anything away. There's <laughs> now, a monster, um, you guys. <laughs> well, I figured. It is trauma after all. Yes. Um, what else are you going out for these days? What do you, you got anything exciting oh, man. on the horizon? Well, I'm in Atlanta a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I actually met my fiance in Atlanta. We sure. were both working. Former guest Sean Gunn. Former everyone. guest Sean Gunn. Um, he uh, was working on a slightly larger project than I was working on. Uh-huh. <clears throat> In- Infinity War, and I was, <laughs> I was working on. Um, to be fair, that's larger smaller. than every project. <laughs> yeah, I know that is true. You know? I could basically sure. say I was working on anything else, and yeah. it would be a larger project. Um, but we met here in Atlanta while while we were both working. Oh, cool! And um, I was on a project for like three weeks, mm-hmm. and then we came back and bought a house, uh-huh. and uh, just finished fixing it up. So yeah. we're here in Atlanta, and. Um, the, like, I mean, both of us have our eyes on things that are are shooting in Atlanta. He for sure. a whole different, uh, you know, set of you know type of character than I'm yeah. looking for, and I I'm just um, that's my my focus right now is really on what's shooting in Atlanta and yeah. getting out for that stuff. And I have I love my team here in uh-huh. Atlanta; they're amazing. That's um, great. I'm shooting something else with else with Kansas. In t- uh, two week, two weeks, two weeks from now, back oh, cool. in LA, so um, she's with her LA new based? film. Yes, okay. she's LA. Um, and then um, I'm also working on my own project, which is uh, sort of a weird uh, near future sci-fi based on the work of Ray Kurzweil. Who's that? Who is a futurist. Okay. I know that name. He now works for Google, but he was at MIT for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically, uh, his whole life revolves around the singularity. Gotcha. Um, and he believes that in our lifetime, the singularity will occur. Oh, man. And he's basically <laughs> just trying to eat really well and stay alive long enough for that to happen. Wow. Uh, so my story is really based on, well, you know, you start to think about what would happen if the singularity occurred. Sure. Who would get that technology first and who would be right. advanced first and what it would mean to modify and what it would mean if we could live forever yeah. or ha- live as long as we wanted and how that would create classes. And then, you know, you start seeing this ball roll down and then you're like, okay, so what happens uh-huh. after all that occurs? So that's what you've been writing? Or? So that's uh, – yeah. I w- we've shot um, some in L.A., mm-hmm. some in Atlanta. 
Uh, we're shooting in Atlanta uh, the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friday, uh, Monday, we're shooting. Um, so is this a film or a pilot? This is a mess. No, <laughs> it's not. Um, I'm. This is actually being created in 60-second episodes. Oh, interesting. Um, and that's part because uh, that's what we're that's what we watch yeah. now um, and it's partly be, not just because that's what we watch it's because um, Instagram comes in 60 second videos right so it's a real difficult thing to play with because it's it's almost like it's a big story to tell uh-huh. in short snippets of time um, so it's a really interesting different way to look at film as art yeah and I think I like that when I'm working on my own smaller projects. Mm-hmm. To say, okay, this is my art. So, right. how do I really want to look at art as opposed to if I was making something for a studio? Right. How would I look at it? Sure. So, uh, it's an opportunity to play. Yeah, yeah. And so, we're working in these 60 second pieces that have, um, you know, it's there's something about it that almost feels like uh, you're cutting a trailer. Yeah. Because you have to provide information in a different way mm-hmm. than we're used to hearing a story and seeing a story play out. So, it's been really fun to. Uh, piece this together, and it's really helped my brain see storytelling mm-hmm. as that art form again, instead yeah. of as the uh, corporate rules we have to follow, or uh, you know, <laughs> go. You have to take this route, and if you're, you know, you have to have this person, yeah. uh, uh, whatever it is. It all of that goes away because it's really about creating the story in uh, through art. Yeah, yeah, through so moving picture art. Is it going to be? Uh... 60-second stories that all link together to tell a larger whole? Yes. Um, wow. it is. It is all one story. Okay. But they are – so we are following all the same characters throughout the okay. entire series. Uh, but they are 60-second 60, 60 snippets that – Really do sort of t- uh, tie. It's almost like e- it's almost like there's there's a loop that ties each one together, and the loop starts becoming clear as it progresses. So the story's told um, a little inside out, uh-huh. really. Now, are you releasing this on Instagram? It will be released on Instagram. Has it'll, anyone done this before? First, you know what? Because it sounds like a great idea. I know. I thought I was so cool in coming up with a great idea. But since I obviously did research on uh-huh. on what this would entail, there are some things like this that have happened on Instagram. All but right. since Instagram TV came out, a lot of it's moved sort of that direction. Gotcha. Instagram TV doesn't have that limit. But I really liked that limit. Yeah, yeah. It really forced me to stop trying to make a film the way I know how to do it uh-huh. and start trying to look at it as art. Yeah, and get really and, creative. It's really, it's really creative. Yeah, that's super cool. It's really, it's been so helpful for me in yeah, yeah. in all the other ways too. You know, in acting opportunities, uh-huh. and it's just really opened up a lot. In that's my awesome. Brain. Well, and making your own <laughs> opportunities is. I mean, I, I suppose people have always tried to do that, but it seems like more than ever now, people are saying, "Well, you know what? I can go out and audition, and that's all great, mm-hmm. but I can also get busy myself." Because it's so yes. accessible now, and there are so many formats for distribution, and like, yes. I think that's really cool. Yes, I think uh, the re- an- another key part about it being a weird sort of artistic thing mm-hmm. in this little form uh, has really helped me get out of the mindset of being like, oh, I'm going to make. Um, whatever, a YouTube series so yeah. that somebody will see it and will pick me up right. and will want me to do it. I've really been able to focus on the art of, of making it. Yep. And that's the honestly, right that's, way to do it, I think. that's the way that I'll, you know, ever be able to create the way I want to create anyway. Right. But it's allowed me to just like let go of all that. Mm-hmm. Even though, of course, I'll like keep it locked down and only distribute it to certain people first. So, so right. it's not that I won't be smart about it. It's not that I don't care about that because that's the only way you can really get your ideas and your stories to the amount of people you want to share that with. Yeah. So I don't mean to disregard how important that is. But I feel very lucky that I can really make it about the art. Yeah, that's really great. Well, you'll have to let me know when that uh, starts to be released oh, and I'll, uh, I'll blast it out yes. to the movie crushers. Thank you. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, 
he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. So let's dive into the graduate. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, uh, you were kind enough to make a last minute switch because your original pick, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, um, <laughs> great film, great epic uh, the three hour Western. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I said, if, if you have it in you, do you mind switching it up just because maybe we'll go with something that's sometimes a little more accessible for, for listeners? And you were, were kind enough to send me a great list. But I do want to hear quickly about your Once Upon the Time in the West yeah. Christmas tradition. I, I will <laughs> tell you. very odd. Well, there are two things I learned in uh, our email exchange. One is that Once Upon a Time in the West is not on any best movies list anywhere. That surprises me. Which really surprises me because I'm like, this is everyone's favorite movie, right? right? Okay. <laughs> Turns out it's not everyone's favorite movie. This is how, like, yeah. wrong my brain is. Two, in my head, it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> it's not a Christmas movie. There are no Christmas-related scenes in this movie. No, there aren't. But a number of years ago, I uh, I was – I started watching Once Upon a Time in the West uh-huh. on Christmas Day. It's my Christmas movie. Now, was this a family thing or was no, this – was with I was with a uh, friend, uh-huh. uh, Naomi Rama. She and I had a breakfast brunch for everyone. It was one of those years where, like, sure, I don't Christmas. know, the family yeah. wasn't interested in me. <laughs> they were like, get over your acting career and get a job. I think we've all don't had come those home for Christmas. Christmas those holidays, <laughs> friends, friends' holidays. No, my family is fantastic. They're very supportive. But it was a friends of friends Christmas. Yeah. And everyone had gone. We had had the house was um, we were at my house. It was a catastrophe. We'd had mimosas. There were like champagne bottles uh-huh. everywhere. <laughs> and the sun was starting to set. And I was like, let's watch a movie. And then she yeah. was like, okay, well, what do you really want to watch? And I was like, I really want to watch a Western. <laughs> she was like, okay. And I'm like, I really want to watch a beautiful Western yeah. She's like, okay. And then I was like, start flipping through. And I was like, oh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh-huh. Most beautiful film ever. And you're right. It is a three-hour Western. Turns out it is kind of long and it has – it's kind of boring. Oh, I don't think – I don't think it's boring. It's beautiful. It is. It's the most beautifully shot, pay, most beautifully paced film. Uh-huh. And man, those dusters. Oh. Yeah. So good. So, so good. So then you started watching that every year? Every Christmas. Every Christmas we watch uh-huh. it. Sean and I watched it last year. Okay. So he's indulged this? Yes. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, that, otherwise, we wouldn't be getting married. Right. If I couldn't watch Once Upon a Time in the West on Christmas Day, uh-huh. game over. <laughs> well, you have. Uh, you were very sweet, though, in deciding to switch it to The Graduate, which uh, 1967, uh, directed by Mike Nichols, uh, written by Buck, Buck Henry and, and Calder Willingham. From a novel, mm-hmm. uh, which has a sequel too, which I didn't know that. Did you know that? No. Yeah, there's a sequel that finally came out just about 10 years ago called Homeschooled. Homeschooled. And it's it, like <laughs> The Graduate, but happens earlier because being homeschooled happens before graduate school. Yeah, it's actually, it, it, the reviews were not kind. It's basically picks up the story of Benjamin and Elaine later. When they are trying to homeschool their children. Oh, my God. And it's supposedly like the one review I saw said that why did he even keep these characters? Because it has nothing to do with who they are or it, it's just it's a sequel in name only. Also, which I'm is just weird, like devastated right now that you just told me it's about their lives in the future, having children that they're homeschooling, because when you watch them right away yeah. on that bus, they're faces 
Yeah, well, let's so talk about that. Much. We can go backwards. <laughs> oh my, yeah, we're gonna start with the end of the movie. Yeah, no, is that that's okay? Because that, um, that's the, one of the most iconic shots in movie history. So, is how their elation from the time they get on that bus, they're laughing, uh, and that turns into reality in about twelve seconds. Seconds in seconds, they realize that they've like what have we done? So much. They re- it's not just what have they done. I'll. Some of this realization that I'm going to say is related. We are doing this out of order. Um, Which is fine. Wait, but let me just say what I'm saying, why I'm so devastated about knowing this book exists. I am so devastated to know that they would have children or that they would have stayed together. Because when I watch them <laughs> on that bus, I think, well, you know, there really is a feeling when you when you look at them and you see their faces that they probably are going to stick it out and that it sucks. Yeah. But I had hoped – mostly for Elaine, that she would have been like, screw this. Yeah. I have things to do. Well, I have a life to live in. I'm amazing. And I went to Berkeley. Yeah. No big deal. Right. You know, and uh, see you later, buddy. Yeah. No, I, I think that. But that's not what happens. They have kids and they no, try to homeschool them. I mean, you can just forget that because it's just so <laughs> weird. Like, I think this movie stands by itself as far as w- how people want to read that ending. Uh, because. I doubt if there are many people out there, fans of the film, that would say like, oh, yeah, these two are just bound for lifelong success. They're going to have such a good life together. Because he has – I mean, I love this movie so much, but it's interesting now to look at it as an adult and be like, man, this guy has an affair with a married woman that uh, uh, the daughter finds out about it. He takes her out, treats her awfully. She breaks up with him, rightfully so. He basically stalks her at college. Stalker. And uh, and ruins her wedding and, and future marriage. Yeah. And it you can't help get the feeling at like my age when you watch it is like, was this conquest for him? Or because the, the romance of it didn't like hit me as much last night as it had in the past. Yeah. You know what? It's really funny. I feel like what you just said is so important. People who have seen this movie at a younger age yeah. will say, oh, I really understand and I relate to that character. And then years later, watch it again yeah. and say, what? That guy's such a D-bag. Yeah. Like, he's nothing. He's He really is. Yeah, I know. Um, and, of course, part of that is uh, Dustin Hoffman's performance. He sure. really plays that nothing so much. And you do see it when you're when you're older, I think. And I think that's kind of the point, maybe. I think so, too. And I think that's a really special thing that a movie can do. I mean, sure, there are lots of movies we go back and watch and we might say, like, oh, I yeah. I didn't see it that way. But this is really different. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of that um, also relates to why this movie is still so relevant. Uh-huh. Because it's relevant for, like, every generation. Because it's a movie about generations. Mm-hmm. And – the the fight to be your own self as a generation. Yeah. You know, so like especially now, I think it's so pertinent in our this this as the millennials, the the millennials. Yeah. I totally qualify <laughs> as a millennial according to all the guidelines of millennials. Right. Um and I'm speaking as if I'm not. But millennials are, you know, so looked down upon Uh and have so much creativity and so much to offer. And their obstacles, our obstacles are so different. You know, you could buy a house on a single income. You know, their parents, the millennials' parents, my parents could buy a house on a single income. You can't rent a apartment in yeah. Los Angeles on a single income. You can't rent a studio in Los Angeles on a single income. Yeah. And m- with so much of the United States. So, like, the struggles that the, the millennials have are, right. you know, it's just like, don't tell me that they're sitting around being lazy. They are working their butts off in very different ways. Yeah. But they're paying their, the amount of money they have to expend yeah. is just crazy compared to other generations. So, you know, there's this clear, the graduate has these generations. There's the adults Uh that, you know, are Mrs. and Mr. And then there are the 
the teenagers or not the teenagers they're not they're they're not teenagers well, they're think, 21 I think Catherine Ross is supposed to be 19 and he's just turns 21 he just in turns the film. 21 in the film he has a birthday party which is a spectacular scene yeah it's really great one with, of the best scenes with the scuba <laughs> it really is and you know what I I also watched it last night um and that was the first time I saw that scene with the scuba mm-hmm. gear and noticed how much there was a play with that fish tank. You know, you see yeah, the yeah. keys when Mrs. Robinson throws her keys into the fish tank, uh-huh. it lands on top of the scuba guy. Yeah. And you all of a sudden seeing him in that pool, I was like, man, if some keys landed on top of him, he'd sure not have any choices. Yeah. And yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't he doesn't seem to really have a choice. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have a spine. Yeah. It's he doesn't make decisions. And and I caught the the water thing too. And the the clear divide of the generations is so important in this movie because it's these two younger characters. And like you said, everyone else is a Mr. or a Mrs. They're parents and parents' friends. They're nameless. They are nameless. They're just Mr. and Mrs., whatever. And they all kind of run together, especially in those scenes, the birthday party, and then, of course, that very first sort of graduation celebration Mm. when everyone's just – it's just like a blur of nameless adults saying, what are you going to do with your life? It's such a blur. It's shot so beautifully. Yeah. You really, you know, none of it's actually blurry. But it it is such a blur. And I was looking at those shots for both the birthday party and for that scene that we open up with for his his graduation party. And it's so amazing that I could see clearly everyone's face. Yeah. But I couldn't. Yeah. And I was like, how did this shot happen? Yeah. I really feel like I can't see these adults. Uh Uh-huh. Also, they come at these – the angles, you know, you really feel like you – It's he's almost made to be like a child, not just a 20-year-old yeah. going on 21. Well, they treat him like a 12-year-old they through do. the whole movie, especially like with the scuba thing. Oh, it, the scuba it, very thing. Very silly. It reminded me of, uh, of all things, A Christmas Story when they make Ralphie dress up in the pink bunny costume and parade downstairs. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, though. It's the same thing. I mean, he might as well be eight years old. Yeah. And they're like, come on out here with your come new out, gift. Come out. And he tries to get oh. out and they're shoving him back in with the mask. Oh my gosh. They put their <laughs> they put their hands right on his mask and shove his face back in the water. You know what happens when you shove people's faces in the water? I know. They drown. <laughs> That's how you kill someone. Well and, and it he, feels like that. They are. They're killing yeah, it's him. It's almost you like know? a horror movie at times. It is. He's like being descended upon in every direction. Every direction. And uh it's almost at the same time, though, his dad expects him to be an adult because he has those conversations about what are you going to do? Like, I get it. You're laying around drinking beer for a few weeks. But, like, what can we expect of you? And it's like you haven't treated him like an adult yet. Why would you expect him to behave like one? Yeah. That's interesting. I sort of never really even <laughs> thought about that, even though it's so clear. And he's so great in it, too. Uh, huge shout out to uh, the nameless adults, but William Daniels is his yes. father. Um, Elizabeth Wilson is, is Miss Braddock, uh, who has that great overreaction when they say they're getting engaged. When she oh just my gosh! Screams at the top of her lungs. That scream! It's <laughs> I. That scream is so funny. It really like I, I, like the microphone like peaks. Oh yeah! <laughs> you know? it's and you're like so over the top. Oh, this was great. <laughs> That's how somebody. I laughed so hard. Yeah, I did too. It's so I, I funny. There's so many one. funny moments. Yeah, so many funny. Well, it's hysterical. It's uh, it's one of these sort of rare movies that is so funny, but at the same time, there's just the the sad subtext through everything. It's such a depressing movie while being funny. Yeah, you know, it's a movie that I think uh, it's not like you love or hate it. You right. love and hate it. Yeah, yeah, and I felt that way the first time I saw it. The first time I saw it was at this theater in Oakland. I was an I was an adult, but I was a definitely a young adult. Yeah, and it was this theater called the Paramount Theater that uh, shows old, old, old movies. Sure, um, and they do like a whole show beforehand, and they've got like an organ player. Oh, that's and great. so I saw it on thirty five millimeter film uh-huh. at this uh, thirty five millimeter print at this theater, and it, this the theater itself was like a nineteen thirties Art Deco theater, and just. The, it was kind of like ostentatious, you know, but also in a very fun way. And it felt – seeing that movie felt so big for me when I saw yeah. it there. And I felt so uh, almost embarrassed to be watching it. Uh, I felt like I hated what was going on. Yeah, I felt – I think I felt embarrassed in the ways that I 
maybe that I related to Benjamin, which is hard to explain because it's no Mm -hmm. obvious way. It's just that feeling of being in a place where you are ready, you want to be an adult and you're trying to grow up, but you, you are trying to fight growing up into that generation that you see as the grownups. Right. So it's like you want to be a grownup, but you want to diverge and do it your own way. Right. And that is every generation. Yeah. And so having those feelings and watching that, I I did feel this like real uneasy feeling. Yeah. And I loved it and very much hated it at mm-hmm. the same time. Yeah, there is a discomfort. Um and, and that great it reminds me of that great scene that's they have all these great long scenes. Uh, and the and the one uh, after they've been having the affair for a little while, when they have that great scene where he's like, "Can we just have a conversation?" Oh. And that scene is so long and so sad because it begins with him just begging for something more substantial than jumping into bed with her, and they go through the the whole gamut of emotions, and it ends with him taking his clothes off and saying, "Like, nah, let's just not even bother talking." Oh. Watching them so take their – both of them, watching both of them take their clothes off at the end of that Ugh. and him give up. But also she really gives up there. She like takes her bra off and tosses it. Yeah. And it's it's sort of funny because you're like watching this sort of like, okay, we're just going to take her clothes off and have sex now. Right. But, you know, for him I, – I think that maybe that's the difference for me in watching it as an uh, as an older adult than watching it as a younger adult. I'm not that old, you guys. <laughs> now that you're 60. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but seeing her pain a lot more instead of seeing her as this, like, aggressor and seeing her as this yeah. weird seductor, seeing her as this, you know, woman that's hurting and seeing her as a mother that's protective yeah. and seeing that, seeing her not want to talk to him, mm-hmm. but actually seeing her want to talk to him. You know, she doesn't want Elaine to him to date yeah. Elaine. She doesn't want Elaine to be hurt by him. And part of that is she doesn't – she wants to protect her daughter, but part of it is she wants him too. Yeah, yeah. And see, and you really see that in that scene because she's oh, – I don't want to – you know, she does all this not not wanting to talk to him and then uh-huh. starts talking. And, and you see the moment that she opens up and she is looking for yeah. a little bit something more too. And then, you know, that – conversation just doesn't go right because it's not what he wants. Right. He doesn't understand those things. And she, of course, knew that. That's why she never wanted to have the conversation to begin yeah. with. So you see her in this whole different, for me, this this last time I watched it in a whole different light. And I just felt for her so much as she f- threw her bra onto the I know, ground. It's so sad. I mean, the whole movie is kind of in that scene. Uh, and I think Nichols knew that because it's so long. And just uninterrupted, and it it is sad to see. Like she, I think she did want a connection, yeah, but also didn't. Yes, because she's at a place in her marriage where she's she married this. Uh, she even admits that she married him because she got pregnant. Right. He has money, and she's bored and not satisfied sexually or emotionally. Not satisfied. Period. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like in any way. You know, it's interesting because I saw these little things, too, that she would do uh, that really Nichols was able to, you know, show through these shots in the bar at their house. Yeah. There's this— Which is, by the way, that set, that living room was amazing. Please, can somebody give me that bar? (laughs) The bar, so great. Please, why can't I have that house? Yeah. Whoever has that house, please, can you just give it to me? Emily and I were watching it last night. We were total house envy. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That bar is so beautiful. Yeah. So there are these two alcohol containers, decanters, whatever they are. Yeah. And it says on it, like, uh, Mr. and Mrs., Oh, I didn't and, notice that. Or no, no. No, it doesn't. I lied. Oh, okay. Guys, I'm making stuff up about the movie, <laughs> and when you watch it, it won't be there. It says on it, uh, scotch and bourbon, I think. Yeah, yeah. And one is their, their uh, you know, the queen and the king oh, of a gotcha. chessboard. Uh-huh. And it's funny because in the first scene where he's offered a drink— uh-huh. Uh, she pours out of her thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Ben says. Right. The adults are going to pour from yeah. either, either the 
their container. Uh-huh. So it doesn't matter what he asks for. They they always ask him, "What do you want to? You know, what do you want this or that?" And they pour the opposite. Yeah, you know, because uh, Mr. Robinson also pours yeah, a drink later. He says scotch, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes bourbon. Yeah, but he and pours he him pours some scotch, <laughs> and he pours out of the Mr. Container. How interesting! You know, and you see that. that there are these things that she's even doing, like uh-huh. you know, like to be her own person. Wow. You know, like that's her drink, uh-huh. and. You know, it's almost like this, like, these two, the Mr. and Mrs. sitting there, the king and the queen at the bar, Uh which clearly, you know, she says she has alcohol. She's an alcoholic. Yeah. Did you know I'm an alcoholic? Yeah. Did you know I'm an alcoholic? (laughs) And so that king and the queen at the bar, I think, are so much more important. And you see it over and over again in, in future shots. Wow, I never noticed that. I think it's that's what makes this part of her one saying, of the you know, yeah. like I, I am a person. Uh-huh. I have a, I have a purpose. I yeah. am here too. It's not just, you know, Mister and Missus Robinson. Right. We are we are individuals, and almost maybe part of that is trying to like get that attention from him. Yeah. You know, and he calls her, her Missus Robinson the whole time. Missus Robinson, like in bed, uh, midway through the affair, he's still calling her that. Absolutely. Um, and she's so like uh. She's so manipulative of him to just make this all happen to begin with and kind of throughout because she's, uh, I think, the the older woman who, by the way, she's 36 years old. Yes. I'm, I, I'm 47. He was, tw- he was 29 <laughs> when know. they shot and she was, she was 30, 35 turned 36 while yeah, they were like shooting, I believe. Six years older. Yes. Which is crazy. Yes. And his dad was only 10 years older than him right, when he shot right. it. Right, right. But, yeah, but um, oh wow! Like knowing that and watching her performance, I know she She's, yeah she doesn't question her age at all. She no. is twice his age, yep. and there's no question. And you're like, you are mind blowing right now. Yeah, I mean, she's what a performance! Amazing, like so, like sexy and confident, but also like just tragically sad oh. and vulnerable, but also manipulating him like at yes. every turn. She carries. So much of the life of the scenes between the two of them, be- yeah, because he has to be. I mean, I'm not certainly not critiquing that performance, but he Ben is so boring and will so he's so easily manipulated and he yeah. wants to be manipulated, yet he wants to be his own self, but he won't do anything. He about doesn't have it. the spine, like you he said, he doesn't have the spine to do anything. And so, because that's all he is, she has to be so much not just as a performer but in at those characters she uh-huh. has to be the one that guides sure literally guides like go do go get the hotel room yeah. you know do she I need has to get to, the room or, yes. or can you do this <laughs> she has again, to again treating him like a child though like everyone else yes but he's behaving like a child yeah i know he's behaving like a child he wants to grow up but isn't doing anything about it i know and he like i feel like he doesn't even have any purpose until that third act where he uh, falls for Elaine and then, like, goes to Berkeley to essentially stalk her. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is interesting, though, you know, because, again, like, watching it as an adult, I was like, is he really in love with her or is this something to do? Oh, God, it's so like, much he finally that, has a purpose. What an infatuation. Yeah. yeah. it's something to do. It's infatuation. It's also, you know, it's not on accident that Elaine is Mrs. Robinson's daughter. Right. And it's very interesting to see, you know, he fall it, when you look at it from this perspective of this like generation gap, the, you know, his age Ben and Elaine right. and then the misters and the missuses and Mrs. Robinson. Uh-huh. He, you know, doesn't want to be an adult like the adults he's seen. He's yeah. not going to do it, you know. Not he's not going to do it. But then he sort of does do it because he goes to Mrs. Robinson, you know, uh-huh. has the affair with Mrs. Robinson, and he starts to inherently sort of all – he starts growing up in that way, in the yeah. way of that generation. He's going directly, literally directly into that generation, yeah. you know, very sexually into that generation. He's saying like, okay, this is my next step. I go be them. Right. And he goes to be them and then realizes, no, no, that's not that's – not what growing up is. Yeah. I'm, my, I'm my own thing, especially with Elaine, who has this very – she's very much a child. You uh-huh. know, she literally cries like a child. She laughs like a child. She talks like a child. Yeah. But she goes to Berkeley. Right. She's smart. She goes well, to the school that's – She has a real future. And she goes to that school where things happen. Yeah. You know? And 
he meets her and it's like, oh, no, that's what he wants. That's mm-hmm. I want to be of my generation. I want to be this generation. Yet it's Mrs. Robinson's daughter. So he's really, you know, if you become your mother, yeah, you become your father. He's really just doing the same thing anyway. He can't fight the fact that yeah. he's going to grow up. And be the older generation. And that is what's going to happen to all of us. We grow up and then we're the older generation and we look at the younger generation and we talk to them like children. Yeah. And Kansas Bowling makes a film at age 17. Right. And we're like, why are we talking to to anyone younger than ourselves like children? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just such a lost little boy through the whole movie. And he never, as evidenced by that last scene on the bus, like he, I think he still has not found himself at all. Yes. I, I don't think as a character arc, he ends up in any different place than no. when he's staring into the void at the beginning of that movie when, you know, that great first line is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are about to begin our descent into Los Angeles. And yes. it has that pullback on the plane. And he's just lost whether he's staring in the fish tank or he's just, he finally realizes in the scuba scene, he's happy down there. Oh, yeah. Which Wes Anderson totally steals in Rushmore. Oh, yes. When Bill Murray uh, Very much. jumps in in, uh-huh. in the swimming pool and just sort of floats down. Yep. <laughs> and who hasn't been in a swimming pool and feel that way? No, I totally agree. <laughs> it's it's one of the most comforting feelings to be down there by yourself. Yeah. that I mean, that swimming pool, yes, he does. He finds comfort in being down there. Yeah. Uh, again, later when, he's, when his parents are saying he should go – out with Elaine, and they're circling him like sharks. He's Uh on the raft, and they're circling him. Yeah, yeah. And then he ends up in the water, and he just stays down there, and that's where we leave that scene. Yeah. Uh, Just the being, you know, he does, he wants to shut it all all off instead of uh, confront it. Yeah. You know, and you see that with the scuba. He puts the gear on, and that shot is so beautiful. Uh And you feel, it's it's so beautiful, and it's so funny, and you you. There's so many fun things about that shot, but the adults' faces popping into the uh-huh. <laughs> into the mask, and the, they look so ridiculous, and they're shouting, but you can't hear them because all you hear is the yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of three times that wasn't a, a Darth Vader. That, that was that was <laughs> yeah, meant to be. Scuba. That was meant to be the scuba gear. <laughs> that's one of three times in the movie, though, that Nichols used that technique of. Seeing people talking but not hearing. It's it's that scene. The car. In the car. Eating. Yeah, the drive-in. And then at the very end in the church. Yes. When it's zooming in on all those harsh Dutch angles of everyone like clearly cussing him out, but you don't hear you anything. You don't hear at any all. of it. It's really it really works too for the movie, I think. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I didn't really think about it in that last scene. The car was the one that came to mind, which right. I do think is really interesting because it's uh in that scene. He um, and Elaine are in the car and they like shut, you know, close the top down and roll the windows up because they want it to be quiet so they right. can talk. Uh-huh. But the the quiet they're trying to get away from is the music and the people, people of kids. their own generation. <laughs> yeah. And so they're trying – you really see that feeling yeah. of, oh, we're going to try to be little adults. And it's like they're really having a hard time deciding if they want to be – just repeat the last generation's work or be their own generation. Right. And you see that there. But what's really interesting in the last scene, um, I read somewhere that that scene was uh, – that ch- whole church scene was meant to sort of play to or, or not play to but like almost uh, mimic mm-hmm. a scene from something called Girl Shy that was a silent film. Oh. And – it's really interesting to realize for the first time because you're saying it that of course there's no you don't hear anybody oh, talking during that and it I don't think it was meant to mimic the silent movie aspect right. of it I think it was meant to more show this kind of chase and the the people in the way and all the things you have to fight through to get to this right. girl um, but I think they're you know, I see that now in a different light with that yeah, yeah. silence that's going on there, how you can't hear uh-huh. anyone shouting. You know, when you really want something and you're going after something, you don't hear people shouting now. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. All that does go that's away. interesting. But you can see them. You know they're there. Right. You know it's in your face and you're just still like struggling yeah. through and you're going your direction. No matter what the shouting is, you shut it off. Yeah. I mean, that's why this is one of the great, great all-time movies is there's – there's so much going on here, and it's it's almost like Catcher in the Rye in that uh, I read that book about every 15 years, and it's something different every time. 
as you age, it changes along with your perspective. But yes. it's what's uh, on top what's of the all main, that. The main character. <laughs> oh, Holden Caulfield. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I've heard that the the author of the book, The Graduate, really thought of Ben as Holden. Well, I, there are some parallels to yeah. be sure. Yeah, for the adults sure. Adults being phonies and all that stuff. So of course, you know, it is one of those stories. Yeah. That you can go back to. Um, but this is one of those that. When you're younger, when I first saw this, I think maybe when I was in high school, like, it can also just be a really funny movie. Oh, it's so funny. Like, if you're not reading in and catching a lot of the subtext, it's just fucking funny. Um, Dustin Hoffman is hysterical. All those little whines and whimpers that he does the whole time. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I mean, it is so funny. It was, uh, you know, um, Mike Nichols was – he comes from a comedy background. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. Uh, in in Chicago, and he had a he had a whole show that he did with a yeah. with another woman, uh, Elaine May, May and Nichols, who was actually in this briefly. She has a little cameo. Where? How did I miss that? She plays uh, the her Elaine's uh, student friend that gives him the <gasps> note. Oh my gosh! And she's, she's apparently what, like thirty. Oh, wow. Nine when she's supposed to be playing in college. Of course, <laughs> of course. They, they're fast and loose with the ages in this of movie. Of course. <laughs> which um, they kind of had to be, which I thought was funny. You know who else makes a little cameo at the desk? Maybe you caught it. Well, there are a couple of. At the at the uh, desk at the, I'm like having like a brain memory. Are you talking about Richard Dreyfus? No. Oh, God. Because he's in it. That, like, I never knew that before <laughs> until last night. I was like, call the cops? <laughs> Sean and I were watching it. And we were like, "Was that was that Richard Dreyfuss?" Oh yeah. Um, no, um, at the desk, the like the oh, guy well, who Buck checks Henry. in. It. Yes, yeah. Who, who really is? There are three credited screen screenwriters on this, but he's really credited right by, from as, Nichols as sure. the, being the actual writer of this. Yeah. Who also, of course, has a comedy comedy background yeah. as well. You know, Emily was asking like who Buck Henry is. So I was like, well, he's a he's a writer and humorist and like sometimes actor, but. He was on SNL as a yeah. as sort of a guest. He was for writing many years. Uh, Get Short while he was writing the graduate. Oh, really? He would write the graduate at night. He was staying at, at uh, what is it? You know, the uh, Chateau Marmont. Oh, sure. In Los Angeles and write, working uh-huh. and was writing that script during the day. Wow. And then at night was writing the graduate. Jeez. So he didn't sleep. Uh, we have to talk about Simon and Garfunkel a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Because people would kill us if we yes. did not mention this. Uh their part in this movie is as big as any of the actors, and it's such a through line. And I've always loved their music, and so I, I was always just like, yeah, man, the Simon and Garfield come here is great. Right. But now, like, watching it again through different eyes, it's it so sets a tone and chapterizes the movie with those great montages. And during every montage, whether, whether it's The Sound of Silence or Scarborough Fair um, – Benjamin and all the characters really come out the other side of that in a different place. Yes, very much so. Um, well, and you hear the sound of silence comes back, you know, numerous times, but yeah, it is definitely in the uh, opening credits with that shot at you know the Los Angeles yeah. airport. That, so good. You know, you just that, have the to moving sidewalk. Yeah, you start so watching great. that moving sidewalk, <laughs> and you're watching you know Ben standing there. You know immediately yeah. who you're going to see the rest of that film. Yep, without you any words. So or anything. much about him. Yeah, it's all in his face. And just that moving sidewalk with the sound of silence and Ben just being that spineless nothing. Yeah, already. I know. There's. I have so much judgment towards him already. I do too. Just in that <laughs> opening yeah. credit sequence. Yeah, which is not how I used to view that character. You know. Mm-hmm. I always thought like, oh, he's a romantic and what a cool guy. Yeah, but he's not. <laughs> I want to be like him. <laughs> he's I not. could go up to Berkeley and <laughs> chase a girl, and she'll fall for me. Stalker. Yeah. Stalker. Really interesting. <laughs> hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years that were, were 
just really high risk, unnecessarily so. And a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, editor-at-large at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Well, let me go through a few. We're shorter on time today than usual, and I want to give you uh, the full five-question ending. But here's a little bit of trivia, which I thought was interesting. Um, Mrs. Robinson was turned down by Geraldine Page, Doris Day, Patricia Neal, Joan Crawford, Audrey Hepburn, and Lauren Bacall, and Ava Gardner tried, like, chase down this part, and he would not uh, give them the part. Uh, Elaine was turned down by Patty Duke, Sally Field, Shirley MacLaine, and Faye Dunaway. And Jane Fonda, Goldie Hawn, and Candace Bergen all screen tested. And then before he finally settled on Dustin Hoffman, precisely because he was awkward and small and sort of a nebbish, he he almost cast Warren Beatty or Robert Redford, which he was just like, no, they're too – They're too hot. Yeah, they're too hot. Yeah, (laughs) and Dustin Hoffman's not – no, Sorry, and, and buddy. Great. Sorry, buddy. But it, <laughs> he was the like weird nerdy guy. Yeah. And actually, I've heard that you know, or read that that was the moment that finally Nichols was able to piece the movie together. Oh, with was when he realized it was Hoffman yeah. and not who you would expect to be, like the rich kid who went to school and did well and was right. accepted into all the ah, Mr. Suave. Yeah, to realize he was not suave. Yeah, which also makes him a more obvious, you know, obvious pawn to be manipulated by someone. Yeah, sexually Mrs. especially Robinson could not manipulate uh, a young Warren Beatty. No way. You know, no one could really. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, uh, Academy Award nominations for picture, actor, actress, supporting actress. Adapted screenplay, cinematography, and then Mike Nichols actually won the Academy Award for Best Director. Um, pretty amazing. Yeah. This also, you know, this was Mike Nichols' second film. Wow. Um, the film that he had done before that was uh, a small film, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Oh, jeez. That, that was the his year first before movie. Uh, also was up for many Academy Awards and Crazy. obviously won uh, Best Picture, right? Yeah. Um, so that was – this film was uh, 67, right? That yeah. was 66. Wow. So the producer of this film, uh, he actually hunted down Nichols like years before. And he had directed uh, Barefoot in the Park oh, sure. on Broadway, which yeah. is no small feat, but otherwise was a not really a known director. Yeah. He was known for his comedy, very right. much so. But he wasn't really a well-known director. Uh, and, he, you know – there was somebody out there that saw, like, yeah. you know, this movie might not get made next year or the year after or the year Crazy. after. He still had a long way to go but knew he wanted him as a director. Wow. Before they shot the film, he directed several other Broadway shows that did really well, including right. The Odd Couple and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and then obviously directed the film Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he just, you know— Somebody already saw something great in him yeah. and pulled him out years before and said, you're the director for this film. Wow. Which is pretty cool. That's amazing. It's pretty cool. All right. We finish up with five questions. Uh, what's the first movie you remember seeing in the movie theater? Fantasia. All right. With a bullet. Oh, wait. Is that right? <laughs> yes. That's definitely right. Fantasia. Uh, first R-rated movie you ever saw anywhere, home or in the theater? Uh, do, you, do you know? Is, is, what's Top Gun rated? Oh, it's like probably like PG thirteen. What is Top Gun? I don't rated? think it's rated R. I saw that at the drive-in theater with my mom. <laughs> was my that mom, rated R? My my mom worked on that F fourteen program, so I, she took me to go see it at the drive-in because I wasn't allowed to see it. But uh-huh. it still could have been PG thirteen. Okay. Oh, they definitely get it on. And I yeah. mean, I was a kid. <laughs> All right, we'll call it R rated. <laughs> uh, will you walk out of a bad movie? No. You'll stick around, huh? Definitely. I don't remember what Sean said. Um, I'll definitely stick around. You're probably First on the same all, page though, right? <laughs> unless, unless like the movie was like seven hours long. Like, was it really going to kill me to try it for another hour? Okay. 
That's good. And even if it was something crazy, like super racist or super whatever, <laughs> I would stick around because I'd be like, please tell me they're doing this satirically right. and there's a point. <laughs> yeah. And that when I see the point, I'm going to be like, wow. It was all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. Um, number four, what actress do you most wish, and this is at any point in time, you could make a, a movie with as your co-star, like either a buddy comedy or or drama? Um, but as you're like e- equal co-star, dream, dream job. So weird. The first per- I'm just going to say the first person that came to mind, which Perfect. I don't know if it's really true that I feel that way, but a constant Zimmer. Okay. I think she's a she's badass and she's had a really cool career. Nice. Yeah, I love that. Good and that answer. was surprising that that's what came out. I wasn't expecting that. No, I like that. Oh, I like that. Very shocking Got answer. Reaction. But she's, she's she's a badass. Uh, all right. And then finally, movie going 101. Um what is your movie-going ritual? Where do you sit? Do you get anything in the concession stands? Uh, no. Okay. So nothing to eat or drink. What where, kind of, where do you sit? What rituals do I have at a movie? I mean, listen, if I'm going to be making out with somebody, I'm going <laughs> to sit in the back row. Uh, <laughs> but otherwise, I'm going to go for the the best, like, center, top, left Okay. Always go towards. I'm left-handed. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Right. But I always go in the left side. There. That's a ritual. I didn't, that is a I ritual. Didn't, always from the left. And I don't think anyone's ever and said fear, anything like fear, that. That's right. Yeah. Everyone always from the left. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's great. Thank you, Natasha. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Appreciate right, thanks. it. Thanks. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it was sort of a more of a philosophical discussion than I've had in here about most movies. But I think that is because it is The Graduate, a movie that is uh, very much under the surface of this quote unquote romantic comedy. There's a lot more going on than meets the eye. And uh, I loved watching it again last night. And I love talking to Natasha about it. Very insightful stuff. And she's wonderful. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it, too. Um, go out and watch it again if you didn't watch it before this episode. Uh, it is well worth – it's one of those movies that's well worth seeing like every six or seven years to uh, see what your take is as time marches on for us all. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, and until next week, uh, don't go stalk someone at college, man. It's just – it makes you a big spineless loser. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life. But I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some, some years that were, were just really high risk, unnecessarily so. And a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, editor-at-large at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C. Or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app.